So here we are. It is Sunday. It is what's often called Resurrection Sunday. This is pivotal to the Christian faith. As a matter of fact, it is the anchor point, the absolute anchor point for everything within Christianity. Because without today, without the resurrection, everything else is a waste. Now that might sound like a, like a pretty bold statement, right? It's like, Rob, hang on a second. You can't say that it's all a waste. Well, without it, without the resurrection, it is critically important uh, to understand Paul's understanding and also the rest of the disciples' understanding of, of what the res resurrection meant. The resurrection culminates the passion narrative. Uh, the passion narrative is the, that final week of Jesus' life. It's called the passion. Uh, and it culminates it. It brings it all together from all four Gospels. It's at the center of salvation itself. Without it, Jesus can only be pitied as a dead martyr who had lofty ideals that were sadly misunderstood. That's without the resurrection. With it, one must stand in awe of the exalted Messiah, the Son of the living God, who gave his life as a ransom for many, who present, presently reigns at the right hand of the Father, and who will one day return in glory to judge and remake this broken world. If you got your Bibles with you, I want you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I'm going to be reading verses 12 to 19, but I want you to pay special attention to verse 14 and 17. And this is Paul. He's writing to a Corinthian church. It's a young church. It's a church that needs a lot of direction. And here's what he writes. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 12 to 19. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection from the dead or of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, but he did not raise him in fact the dead are if in fact the dead are not raised for if the dead are not raised then christ has not been raised either and if christ has not been raised your faith is futile and you are still in your sins then those who have fallen asleep in christ are lost if only for this life we have hope in christ we are of all people most to be pitied let's pray together lord god thank you so much for our time together and i pray lord that Lord, as we're looking into your word, as we're trying to understand the resurrection at a deeper level, Lord, that you would give us eyes that see, ears that hear, and hearts that are open to you, but also, Lord, that we would be people who would be celebrating this resurrection. In your name I pray, amen. So I mentioned to you, pay close attention to verse 14 and verse 17. 14 says this, And if Christ had not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. Think about that for a moment. This is Paul. So this isn't earlier Rob just making comments off the cuff and, and, and being bold about things. Paul actually states that. He says that if Christ has not been risen from the dead, so if there was no resurrection, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. And in verse 17, he says it kind of the same way. He says, and if Christ had not been raised, your faith is futile. In other words, it is useless. And listen, you are still in your sins. So there's no salvation. Without the resurrection, 
There is no salvation from sin. Hear me. Without the resurrection, there is no salvation from sin. And so this is what it means when we say that the resurrection is at the heart of the Christian faith. If it is either something that happened or it didn't. And this is what Paul is saying here. Now I want you to notice how quick, how clearly Paul states the matter. No resurrection, no Christianity, no resurrection, no salvation. If Jesus had not been raised, then the following would be true. According to Paul, if Christ wasn't raised from the, uh, the following five things would be the things that you could expect. Christian preaching is empty, and so anyone's faith, because of the object of faith, Christ, is not whom he said he was. Right? Christian preaching is empty, and so, in one, and so is anyone's faith, because the object of the faith, Jesus, is not whom he said he was. Jesus wasn't what, who he said he was, so all of it is empty. The apostles are liars for testifying to the resurrection that did not occur. And not only were they liars, <coughs> they were out of their minds because they died for this. So they died for a lie. Number three, there's no forgiveness. No forgiveness has been granted for anyone's sin. And number four, those who have died believing in Christ don't actually have any hope. And if hope in Christ is limited to this life, then Christians are to be pitied among all people. This is what Paul is saying. There's no meaning for humanity if Christ is not risen. Without the resurrection, Christianity has no meaning for humanity. Its its founder would have been a liar and a failure. Its followers would have had no hope. The importance of the resurrection to the Christian faith cannot be overestimated. It either happened or it didn't. If it happened, there's salvation. If it didn't, there isn't. Along with our faith resting on the reality of the resurrection, there are assurances that we can have that the resurrection offers us. So here's kind of what I want to do with the rest of our time. I'm not, <coughs> I'm not going to try and prove the resurrection. There are many uh, great scholars and apologists that have, that have done that. What I want to do with the rest of our time here is talk about the assurances we have that rest on the resurrection. And so the first assurance uh, would be that, that the resurrection assures us that God has accepted Christ's sacrifice for our sins. Not simply that Jesus was willing, but that God accepted it. Romans chapter 4, verse 25, He was delivered over, death, over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. That's Romans 4.25. So he was delivered over to death. Now you need to understand that yes, Rome is who killed Jesus. And the Jewish leadership at the time was complicit in it. But this was God's plan. You understand that? This is God's plan. God delivered Jesus over. And so if God delivered Jesus over, then Jesus must have been an acceptable sacrifice. And not only did God deliver him over, if God would have delivered him over and says, you know what, that didn't turn out the way I wanted, watch his hands, walk away, he never would have raised him from the dead. And so because he was raised from the dead, we are justified. Romans 10, 9. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If Jesus was not an acceptable sacrifice, 
then this would not be true. Hebrews 10, 12 to 18. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First, he says, this is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts. I will write on them, uh, write on them on their minds. And then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And when, and where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. You see that. So it is an acceptable sacrifice. How do you know God's accepted Jesus' payment for my sin? Well, that's what the resurrection proves. Romans 1.4 says that Jesus was declared to be the Son of God with power by His resurrection from the dead. If Jesus had remained in the tomb, it would have meant that He didn't die for our sins. He died for His own. But the fact that God raised Jesus from the dead proved that Jesus' gift is acceptable in the presence of God. So that's an assurance we have, that Jesus' sacrifice was accepted by God. Another assurance we have <coughs> excuse me, is this. The resurrection assures us that there is life after death. John 11, uh, verse 25 and 26 say this. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? He asked. John 14, 19. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live. And because I live, you will also live. When Jesus was put to death, he truly died. The Roman soldiers who nailed him to the cross attested to the fact that when they took his body down and placed it in the tomb, its entrance was sealed with a huge stone placed under guard, but it's not the end of the story. And we know that. When the first day of the week dawned, the tomb was empty. And shortly after, Jesus appeared numerous times to his followers, as many as 500 on one occasion. His resurrection proved that Jesus was who he claimed to be, the Son of God, sent from heaven to save us from our sins. But it also proved for all time that there is life after death. This is the resurrection story. The resurrection blasts apart the finality of death. The most important events in human history are the death and resurrection of Jesus. Without this, the cross is meaningless. Jesus made this wonderfully profound statement that changed the world. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he die, he shall live. The resurrection is our great hope. And so because Jesus was resurrected, we know that there's life after death. The resurrection assures us that Christ is with us in the present. Matthew chapter 28, verse 20. This is the Great Commission, uh, or part of the Great Commission. And there's a section within the Great Commission that, that is important for us to understand in terms of what it means for us to be people who go out into the world. He goes, he, in verse 20, after just telling uh, the disciples to go out and baptize everyone in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, 
He says, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And then he says this, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. John Jefferson Davis says it this way. He says, Christ is in fact present to the believer and to the church in a threefold way. Despite the fact that Christ's glorified molecular body is not present on earth, but is now invisible in heaven, Christ is really within the believer by the Holy Spirit who extends Christ's self and presence into the believer's heart. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. Jesus is really among the believing assembly, gathered as a church in worship by virtue of his name and spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 4. So let's understand, like Jesus is in you personally, right? You, he's the hope and glory, Christ in you, the hope and glory of our faith. This is Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. And, and for those people who think that, that you can just stay home and do church on home and do church online and not be part of a, a local body of people that you are committed in fellowship with, 1 Corinthians 5, 4, in, this, in the name and the spirit are extensions of Christ himself. And so he really is among the believing assembly gathered as a church in worship. And the believer is really present to the heavenly ascended Christ, being seated with Christ in the heavenly realms, Ephesians 2.6. The Spirit connecting the believer with Jesus and extending the believer's spirit and self to Christ himself, 1 Corinthians 6.17. The Holy Spirit connects us with Christ and lifts us into the presence of the ascended Lord, with whom we are in union from the time of our conversion and being incorporated into the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, who continues to abide in us in what you would call an ontological reality. There's a footnote that gets added here. It's that Christ, as to his molecular body, is located in heaven, but Christ's extended self and ascended by, sorry, as extended by means of his name and spirit is also simultaneously and really located in the midst of the worshiping assembly and also within the heart of a believer. So Christ is... You could say above us in heaven. He is among us in worship and he is within the heart by his spirit and promise. That's amazing. This is what we get from the resurrection. So Christ is actually with us. Another assurance that we get from the resurrection is that we have an advocate in heaven. Now, on Good Friday, we talked about this, that Jesus is our high priest and he advocates us, advocates for us on a daily basis, constantly, constantly speaking on our behalf. But in Romans 8, 34, who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right end of God and is also interceding for us. Hebrews 7, 25, therefore he is able to save completely those who come to God through him. Listen, because he always lives to intercede for them. 1 John 2, verses 1 and 2, My dear children, I write to you, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, listen, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. All of it, right there. 
Like he, he so loves us. And his sacrifice was so overwhelmingly perfect that he is able to intercede. He's able to plead our case. The Apostle John had the most remarkable way of encouraging his readers to walk in the way of the Lord. And when you reflect on these words, you realize that John's not encouraging people to sin because Jesus will always cover up for them. What it comes down to is God says, and I'm paraphrasing this, and it's just a thought that's out there, but I want you to walk according to my commands, and I've already made provisions for your failures. I want you to walk according to my commands, and I've already made provision for your failures. For the believer, this is not an invitation to carelessness, but an encouragement to keep on striving. We dare to try because we know Christ is our advocate. It's an amazing thing. It's an offer of love and eternal fulfillment to all people. The resurrection of Christ is not rooted in mythology or mere symbolism. Jesus was not just simply an archetype for us to follow. It is the concrete event that has been confirmed with convincing proofs. Christ's resurrection tells the world that the kingdom of God is ruled by a living, sovereign God. While all men, including the prophets, are dead and their bones are lying dormant in the earth, Jesus, the founder of Christianity, appeared to John 60 years after his death on the island of Patmos, and he says this in Revelation chapter 1, verse 17 18. I love it. He appears to John and he says, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. That is what the resurrection does. The resurrection of the Son of God not only signifies biblical truths, but it also represents the assurance that we can have forgiveness from our sins. But it also assures us that God has accepted Christ's sacrifice for our sins. It assures us that there is life after death. It assures us that Jesus is present with us, and it assures us that we have an advocate in heaven. And because we know we will live forever in God's presence, our priorities and devotion are focused on Him, not on the concerns of this present world. And this focus doesn't take us out of the world, but keeps our attention on where it belongs. Colossians chapter 3, verse 2. In fact, living with our hearts focused on eternity enables us to be more effective for God's work here on earth, living out His truth and building His kingdom right here, right now. So we have some amazing assurances that come from the resurrection. I would encourage you, study it. Allow Paul's truth about this being that foundational principle that we attest to for the proof of our faith. Like without the resurrection, everything else is a waste. This is what Paul says. This is what the church believes. And so we need to be secure, both in the fact that the resurrection happened and then in the assurances that come with it. Are you secure? Dive deep, learn more, 
And if you got questions, feel free to send it to our way. Let's pray together. Lord God, I thank you so much for our time together. I thank you for your resurrection. Uh, Lord, I thank you that it is a reality and because it is real that we know that we have uh, a, a sacrifice, a, a God, a high priest who made a sufficient sacrifice that is acceptable to God. I thank you so much that you are present with us. I thank you that you are the high priest who intercedes for us on a daily basis. I thank you, Lord, that with apart from the resurrection, we have nothing. And so because you are exactly who you say you are, we have hope, we have life, we have purpose, and we have eternity. Thank you, Jesus. In your name I pray. Amen.